This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. Since the Hamas attack on the 7th of October, which killed more than 1,200 people and saw more than 200 hostages taken, the Israeli assault on Gaza has drawn the eyes of the world. As of late last week, Israeli forces had killed at least 16,000 people, including more than 7,000 children, according to the Hamas media office, leading to accusations of genocide, claims that Israel rejects, saying it's targeting Hamas militants rather than the Palestinian people. But these deaths have been felt in Australia, where week after week, tens of thousands of people are gathering across the country in support of Palestine. These protests have become a phenomenon, described as Australia's largest anti-war movement in 20 years and bringing together a broad cross-section of Australian society. You have large numbers of people going onto the streets, onto multiple sites. That actually makes them relatively significant, certainly in respect of and in contrast to other protests we've seen over the last decade. The fact that there are continuing protests over a number of weeks now Uh, indeed a number of months now, and certainly the size hasn't continually dropped. If anything, it's started to ramp up. Excuse me. And we will not stop! We will never stop! Organisers say they want peace. However, these protests have drawn strong criticism from some Jewish organisations and politicians for spreading unrest and anti-Semitism. So... Who is showing up to these protests and what are they hoping to achieve? Today, behind the Palestine protests. It's Monday, the 11th of December. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. It is a hot Sunday, the 3rd of December in Sydney. Mustafa Rashwani is a reporter for Guardian Australia. Could you tell us a little bit about what we're going to do right now? Uh, So we're on our way uh, to, I think, the eighth consecutive rally uh, on uh, just to call for a ceasefire on Gaza. And then we'll be heading down uh, to Hyde Park. So this is the eighth consecutive one, you said? 
I'm pretty sure. I might have. You lost might have count. lost count. At what point did you lose lose count? Do you think? Maybe three weeks ago. <laughs> My name is Emma Nasser. I'm a 23-year-old um, organiser based in South West Sydney specifically. Um, I'm a recent law graduate from UNSW. Could you take us through your organisation and then also your role in the protests? Yeah, so I'm a member of Palestine Action Group and we're a horizontal organisation that organises the rallies here in Sydney. We co-organise with the Tezdek Collective and Jews Against the Occupation and they're both um, intergenerational, anti-colonial, anti-Zionist Jewish community and action-based groups here in um, Sydney or Gadigal land. Could you tell us a little bit about how this coalition came together? Jews Against the Occupation and Tezdek Collective um, you know, have always been working with us on solidarity on so many things before October 7. Um, they've always had contingents at our rallies and in non-peak periods. We've co-organised together on more microscopic actions, um, such as the Sydney Festival boycott, general BDS campaigns, and also on a, on a university level, uh, some of the campaigns against IHRA. So when these mass protests came about, it was almost organic for us to work together again. What is your role in the um, organisation of the protests? My role is just like everyone's role is is contributing to the general organisation of the protests, more specifically over the past couple of weeks of in dealing with ensuring that our protests go through, ensuring that we're complying with our form ones and um, applying for them on a weekly basis, uh, negotiating routes with police as to um, where we want to go on the day, where we want to take people. Um, and, and that negotiation process is very crucial because obviously the state would prefer us not to march because marches are very disruptive. But we really, really want to march because we want to be disruptive. So trying to find a way to navigate the fine balance of getting our protests through and not having to go to court. I'll come back. I'll start. Yeah, right. So the Adan for a Muslim prayer is just going off. It is 12.44. So we are pretty close to when the rally is officially supposed to begin. And so there's a general kind of a sense of um, communal gathering, uh, I would say, people coming together for a cause. It's not particularly celebratory. Um, there isn't really a sense of joy or electricity in the air. There's a sense of grief. So let me hear your voices. Gaza, Gaza, don't you cry? Gaza. Laura Murphy-Oates here. I'm in Hyde Park, walking towards the fountain. And I'm just about to meet up with audio producer Hannah Parks. And we're going to speak to some of the people who've been coming to these protests week in, week out, find out who they are and why they keep showing up. Um, your age, where you're from, and any other information. 
Uh, yeah, hi, my name is Suzanne Wahab. I'm the president of Palestinian Christians in Australia. I'm 54 years old. Every Palestinian I know has lost family members in Gaza. And that includes the Palestinian Christians. There are 300 to 400 families who live in Sydney who are Palestinian Christians. They have lost family members in the bombing of the Orthodox Church on the 20th of October. 20 people died, 18 injured. These people we know, cousins of my cousins, have families, complete families, mom, dad, and children. They have died in that bombing. So for us, this is personal. So what specifically would you like to see the Australian government do? Definitely call for an immediate permanent ceasefire and humanitarian aid. So that's for the short term. Uh, our families in the churches who are all sheltering in the churches because all their homes have been destroyed are running out of clean water and food. A couple of weeks ago, a cousin of my cousin, 35-year-old pharmacist, died in the church because he drank contaminated water. Just so we've got an option. Tell me about yourself. Uh, my name's uh, Chris Breen. I'm uh, 53 years old. I'm a maths and uh, science teacher. Uh, and I am here at the rally for Palestine, uh, calling for an end to the siege and bombing of Gaza. Doug Evans, age is uh, 70. And where have you come from today? Bundina. Is Quite a few people in Bundina are supportive of Palestinians. Some would say that the Australian government is a small player in Middle Eastern mm. politics and that mm. anything that they say or do mm. in support of stopping the bombing or a ceasefire would have very little effect. What would you say to that? Well, nothing would get done if everyone was saying everyone's a small player. Even if they are a small player, I don't believe that they are a small player. There's a lot of Palestinians in Australia and Australia has a clout beyond its population. So I don't believe they are a small player. The same argument could be made with anything, like, you know, with, to do with the invasion of Afghanistan. You know, compared to America and, and UK, we were a small player, but, you know, we could have had a huge influence by not going to that war. I think we can still have a huge influence on what's happening in Palestine. Two, three, Thank four, you. one. Thank you. What's your name? Hannah. 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 Here today. Yeah, hi, my name is Paz. I'm from so called Sydney um, on Gadigal lands and I'm 35 years old. Can I ask who you brought here today? I've got my two daughters. I had a baby just 10 weeks ago, so I'm still in a postpartum period, but I need to be here and I've also got my husband with me to support me. My name is Sarah. I'm 47 years old. I am a psychotherapist and well I think all professions should be part of this and I loved seeing other signs that were just quite specific and more personal like queers for Palestine and First Nations for Palestine and I saw like pixie gamers for Palestine. I thought well why not psychotherapists? Hey my name is uh, Shabash Kwasi. I'm a doctor. I'm an ICU doctor working in southwest Sydney. Um, 29. And, you know, you're part of a group of medical professionals who have been turning up to these protests. Have you been to many of these Sunday protests? Um, yeah, the last few weeks I've been to a few. Um, I try where I can, I guess, around work um, when available to kind of come out and support the cause. Uh, when you do med school, um, to get in, they interview you, why do you want to do medicine? I think for most of us, our answer would be because we want to help people. Um, and so to see people suffering around the world, um, unnecessary suffering, suffering that doesn't need to happen, that hits us hard. And so I think there's very little we can do from over here, but what we can do is 
ask our government to stop supporting the massacre of innocent people is just a bare minimum we can do. And doctors aren't known necessarily as always people who are on the front line of protest movements. I mean, have you been heavily involved in either Palestine protests before or any sort of protest? No, I haven't really done much protesting before or anything like that. I think from a medical point of view, we, we treat everyone, right? It doesn't matter. When you come to the hospital, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your beliefs. It doesn't matter whether you know, you're from the prison, you're from wherever you are. Our thing is that we, everyone deserves the same human, have the same human rights. Everyone deserves treatment. Um, I think what really, um, the bombing of the hospitals has been something that's really connected for a lot of us in the medical profession. Uh, my name is Ethan Lyons. I'm 18 and I'm Radjuri. Um, I'm here today as a representative of the Black Caucus at the Free Palestine Rally. Tell me about the Black Caucus. Uh, the Black Caucus is a grassroots collective of First Nations mob from across New South Wales, but mainly from uh, Gadigal lands in Sydney. And why have you been rocking up week in, week out? Yeah, I think there's so many different reasons to it. I think my main reason is I fight so much for my own mob and First Nations justice. And I think, uh, I guess based on my own politics and stuff, it seems a bit uh, useless to be fighting for my own mob if you know I'm not fighting for everyone else and other First Nations communities around the world. I think. Sure, I'm Christina Nielsen, 48, and I'm from Sydney. And I see that you have two boys here. Are these your boys? They are. So what are you calling on Anthony Albanese or Penny Wong to do? I think that that Penny Wong should um, make sure that Australia that Australia is not funding weapons for Israel. I think Australia should make a, a statement, an explicit statement, calling what's going on in Palestine, calling it genocide. Do you have sympathy for the Israelis who have family who have been taken hostage and the Israeli families that are also caught up in this? Absolutely. I mean, any this is this is a, a war that is going on, and it's absolutely it's absolutely horrific. And I can't imagine the pain that people would would feel if they had a family member who was who was kidnapped. The way through this situation, though, is not to commit mass genocide. Thank you for your time. We'll see. Now, I've just come to speak to you because you're standing here with a sign that says Jews against the occupation. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? My name is Michelle Anna Burkon. I am 65. I'm a mother of three beloved children. I'm the grandchild of Holocaust survivors. I've been a teacher, childcare worker. I've worked in Israel on a kibbutz. I was a Zionist until 2014. You say you were a Zionist. What changed? Oh, oh. Long story? No, not so long. I lived in the country for a long time and I ended up back in Sydney and I had a television. And I saw Israel's appalling, horrendous assault on Gaza in 2014. I watch it unfold on my television. And my children tell me now that I had something akin to a nervous breakdown because it just, all of the lies that I had been told, all of the talking points that I had repeated without knowing, all of that was just cast into an abyss because it was just so unhinged. Israel's violence was so unhinged. It was, it just changed my entire perspective on everything. And I knew that there was no going back. Have you ever seen this before? Have you ever seen this broad coalition turn up at these protests? 
no. So I was too young to experience the Iraq war protests, but I did obviously learn about them and look back towards them. And I've never seen on on the issue of war protests this big and this continuous. I was there in 2020 when we saw 30,000 people come for the um, Black Lives Matter rally in the context of broad international support for this issue Um, and obviously for the school strike for climate in 2019, which which attracted massive numbers as well. But in terms of an anti-war issue and one that's maintained continuous mobilisation over a seven-week period, I've never seen this much support before and I think it's quite affirming to the fact that our movement has become one that is so important to so many hearts from so many different communities and not just our own. People are seeing the images in Gaza in real time. You know, we're not just seeing the edited clips that we end up seeing on the news at the end of the day, but we're seeing people in Gaza live streaming and videoing what is happening to them. We're also seeing that it's given us space for activists and political commentators to be able to use online forums like X or TikTok to basically say, this is why this is happening. By the way, this isn't just an issue that impacts, you know, Muslims or the Arab community. This is a political issue that a lot of people feel very, very strongly about. Next. Amal and a protest expert on how this moment compares to Australia's anti-war movement history. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. Lovely. If we're good to get going, let's give it a go, hey? Certainly. Uh, Dr. Stuart Jackson, Senior Lecturer in Politics at the University of Sydney. So, Dr. Stuart Jackson, can you tell me about your work and how it relates to protests in Australia? Sure. With a colleague, Peter Chen, I looked at street protests in Australia, covering the Occupy movement all the way through till 2019. Um, Starting in 2019, I'm part of a research project looking at democratic renewal amongst young people, specifically looking at the school strike for climate and Fridays for Futures movement. So we've been looking at the Palestine protests and organisers have told The Guardian that up to 100,000 people are showing up some weeks in Melbourne, though police estimates of protests generally tend to be much lower. Regardless, they say that this is the biggest anti-war movement in more than 20 years. What do you think of that claim? It's probably true. Uh, The simple fact remains that the largest protest that Australia's ever seen was in 2003, which was the anti-Iraq war. 
uh, protests, which attracted 150,000 in Melbourne and a quarter of a million, or up to a quarter of a million people in Sydney. Uh, They were some of the largest protests that Australia has ever seen, matching the walk for reconciliation over the Harbour Bridge, which again was uh, thought to attract somewhere around 200,000, a quarter of a million people. So if they're attracting, you know, 100,000 in Melbourne, that's a really significant number of people to come out onto the streets. And what do you think of this term anti-war protest for the Palestine protests? That's been contested by some Jewish organisations. There are concerns about the nature of this protest from some politicians as well. Well, it is anti-war, but it's more than just an anti-war protest. There's a great deal, many more people involved that are looking for a different outcome. So it's more than just an anti-war protest. Uh, It certainly goes further to actually talking about Palestinian statehood. Can you describe what makes these protests unique? These protests are are relatively unique compared to other forms of protest that we've noted uh, over the last 20-odd years, for instance. There's a variety of different sites that are occurring. It's not just a street protest down, you know, um, George Street or in Melbourne they might march, Collins Street. Uh, It's happening in multiple sites. It's happening, say, at Port Botany. It's happening on port sites. Uh, It's popping up in different uh, locations. You have large numbers of people going onto the streets, onto multiple sites, and certainly the size hasn't diminished. If anything, it's started to ramp up. I mean, how does that compare to other protest movements that we've seen in recent Australian history? It's actually much closer to actions taken by unions and the labour movement, particularly when it comes down to when you're blocking ports. Australia does have a history in terms of acting in that way. Uh, 1948 is a classic example of unions acting against the Dutch or Dutch shipping to stop the supply of uh, munitions to the Dutch in East Dutch East Indies, i.e. Indonesia. So there's certainly a history uh, of the utilisation of blocking a port or blocking the supply of a ship. So that's not so unusual. It's the range that is starting to pick up. Uh, It's picking up cues, as it were, from particularly the labour movement, but it's also being played out across the different groups of people who are extremely concerned about 16 or 17,000 people being killed in Gaza and the war continuing. Truth notwithstanding, the war continues, and indeed people clearly are concerned about the bombing, the killing on either side, whether it be Hamas or the IDF that they are prepared to go onto the street, take the time to do it, whether it be during the day or in the evening, and make their voices heard. Mm. There have been reports of both Islamophobia and anti-Semitism on the rise in Australia, and recently Israel issued a travel warning for Australia due to rising anti-Semitism. Jewish organisations have raised concerns that these protests will worsen this problem and will worsen social cohesion in Australia. What do you think of that idea? To be honest, I think it's a spurious claim, simply because the cause, which is uh, Hamas entering Israel, killing you know 1,400 or 1,200 and capturing 200 Israelis, and then the Israeli response into Gaza is actually what is causing uh, this uh, polarisation around the issue. So the, the actual war is the, is the key to this, not the fact that someone is protesting about it. The protest is a reaction to the initial stimulus. 
Uh, as for social cohesion, the protest doesn't in itself create disharmony. It's an expression of an already existing disharmony. Some within the Victorian Opposition Party have claimed that protests such as the school strikes for Palestine are actually run by professional activists. But, you know, we have seen a diverse range of people turn up to these protests that aren't just professional activists. What do you think of that type of wording? Well, it's a known factor and certainly it's occurred in many different protests. Um, you use particular lines against protesters. So you will say uh, that they are professional protesters or that they're professionally organised as a way to belittle the people who are involved and engaged in the protest, but also the protest itself. It's essentially a process of delegitimising the protest and the cause that has been protested. Okay, so there have been accusations that some of the chants heard at the protests and that the protests themselves are anti-Semitic. What do you make of that? Um, We have, you know, anti-Zionist Jewish comrades up with us on the stage who march with us and we're all advocating for freedom and justice for all, for Palestinians and for Jewish people. It's actually about inciting violence against no one and peace for all. So I, I, I really struggle to understand the claims that we're all a bunch of people who hate Jewish people because we don't. We here we're advocating for Palestinian people, um, and the justice of Palestinian people does not equivalent to hating Jewish people. I think that's a that's a very dangerous binary. Why? Because it essentially creates a very dangerous binary that in order to oppose anti-Semitism, you have to support the oppression of Palestinian people a truly, truly anti-racist society that protects Jewish people and that protects Palestinian people is one where everyone is able to live free, not where one's freedom is reliant on someone else's oppression. And creating that binary, it's not just dangerous for Palestinian people, but it's dangerous for Jewish people as well because one's freedom cannot be reliant on someone else's oppression. And one person's oppression shouldn't mean justice for someone else because justice for, for everyone is the way we're able to move forward and have freedom for everyone, whether you're Jewish or whether you're Palestinian. How do you describe these protests? What are they to you and what are they calling for? Yeah, so for our protests, have been call- have been consistently calling for the same uh, message, an end for the Israeli occupation, an end for apartheid in the region, uh, the end of the siege in Gaza, refugees having the right to return and... All of this together is an anti-racist and anti-colonial movement. That's what we describe ourselves as. Uh, The specific demands are that Australia calls for the end of occupation in Israel and for the end of occupation in Israel, Um, the end of the siege on Gaza, the end of apartheid, So the protesters are calling on the Albanese government to demand a ceasefire and eventually cut off all ties with Israel. How likely is it that these protests could actually influence something as as complex as Australia's relationship with Israel? I think it's highly likely, given the nature and structure of the Labor Party, that they will react 
positively to some elements of the protest demands, certainly around issues like ceasefire. I think ceasefire is relatively straightforward. Certainly, Foreign Minister Wong has actually argued that we would support or Australia would support ceasefire and is urging the US and Israel to look towards coming to a ceasefire. On the flip side, cutting off all ties with Israel is far less likely to happen because the Labour Party still is looking to a Jewish constituency within and without the party, certainly groups of voters. It has a long history of supporting Israel as a separate nation. And so it would look to still support Israel as a democratic nation within a particular region. So it will do some, but not all. And we have examples of the Labour Party doing exactly this. Uh, we certainly have have examples around um, uh, coal mining, climate change, uh, and renewable energy. So they would say, we can't, just as we can't stop coal mining, we can't cut off all ties with Israel. There's a better argument, in fact, for uh, maintaining ties with Israel, and that's that when we maintain those ties and we maintain the connections, we at least have some ability to talk to them as opposed to cutting them off and then not talking to them. Mm. So there's at least some argument for that. Looking at the history of anti-war protests specifically, though, do they have a strong record of success of changing Australian government policy? Unfortunately, uh, the, the peace movement has had a few wins, but also a few losses over the past 30 years. We can all point back to the Vietnam War and the desire to withdraw from Vietnam and the large protests around the moratorium, which Labor at the end of the day supported. Actually, was going to happen anyway. That's the drawdown of Australian troops from Vietnam. But it was the Labor Party who accelerated it and completed the withdrawal. That's one win. But we can also point to the 2003 anti-war protests against the um, US-led invasion of Iraq as being a large failure. There might have been, you know, 350, 400,000 people marching, but the uh, Liberal government under John Howard did not uh, accede to any of their demands and, in fact, went ahead with you know, almost greater input. So the government will pick and choose what it can do. The problem for the peace movement is that it hasn't had a great number of wins of late, and they'll be looking for this to be something where they can apply pressure to the government. Uh, it's a Labour government. There have been reports of Labour feeling the pressure that some Labour branches have voted to call for a ceasefire and that there is support within Labour rank and file for some elements of your movement and the rallies. So, do you think it's realistic that the federal government can shift its policy on Israel and Palestine? I'd like to ask the same question to someone who was involved in the anti-apartheid movements in South Africa because I'd, I'd think that that movement was years long and it didn't happen overnight but eventually um, eventually uh, ties were cut with South Africa um, and I would say probably in the early days some people probably thought it was very unrealistic um, and it seemed far-fetched and and right now it seems like it's miles away but I genuinely think if Palestine truly becomes an election issue like we saw around the Iraq war and like we saw around apartheid in South Africa and the Vietnam War, the Labor government is going to internally have to consider whether a shift is necessary for their survival. And I think right now, seeing how the community has reacted in such a strong level that I've never seen before, 
I think that's entirely possible. You spoke a bit about the elders coming. Yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of focus on the young people, but could you tell me a little bit about more of, say, the community elders? Do you see them turning up as really special? Yeah, of course. I mean, for them, um, first of all, it's very hard to come to a protest. It's very exhausting. Um, but they do it, and they've done it for decades. I mean, before Palestine Action Group even existed, before the siege on Gaza, a lot of them were, you know, young, young, like relatively young at the time, coming and demonstrating during the Intifada and things like that. And uh, 25 years on, they're still coming. And I think it just it, it really shows that there's uh, something very. This is very special to them, and it's very important. Um, and I think for them, what we've seen is just a lot of hope because when they were doing rallies when they were young, I was a couple hundred people, and all of a sudden, like 20 years on, it's 50, 60,000 people. And for them, that's really special. So, yeah. That was Amal Nasser talking to Guardian Australia reporter Mustafa Rashwani and earlier Dr Stuart Jackson from the University of Sydney. Later this week, we'll also be speaking to a wider range of voices from the Jewish Australian community. So keep an ear out for that, but that's it for today. This episode was produced by Alison Chan, Karishma Luthria and James Milsom. Sound designed by James Milsom and Joe Koning. The executive producers are Miles Matnioni and Hannah Parks. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.